Fung and just say thank you. And since he mentioned you, Jazz, I'll just remind you that um, 15 minutes after the end of the service today, we'll have a UU Jazz update for those of you who'd like to find out what's happening with our organization and see how you might get involved. We'll come back in here to do that. I have to admit that when I learned from my parish minister colleagues that the theme for this month uh, for the Baja Four congregations is soul force, I was a bit mystified. Soul force is not terminology that I was familiar with. As I mused, I wondered, is soul force a motivating factor based on what calls to us most deeply? Is it what causes someone to take action based on their most deeply held beliefs and values. Then, what I, I did what I usually do anymore when I don't know something, and maybe you do this too, I Googled it. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine my surprise when the first definition that came up was satyagraha. Turns out, that Gandhi used the Sanskrit word satyagraha, meaning cling to truth, as a focus of his campaigns in India and uh, South Africa. Satyagraha is the vast inner strength, or soul force, that's required for nonviolent acts. He believed that a person dedicated to nonviolent resistance, who was taking authentic action, to represent truth and work to uphold a just cause would inevitably reach the heart of the oppressor. Satyagraha is a positive and spiritually based form of resistance that starts in the heart of the resistor and inevitably produces creative action. So the term soul force was first used by Gandhi as part of satyagraha or reliance on soul force One source indicated that this was a philosophy based on the teachings of Jesus. Gandhi used soul force during the Indian people's movement to transform their society through peaceful, nonviolent action. Later, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used soul force as part of his nonviolent philosophy as he sought to help lead the African American people toward freedom. He even mentioned this term in the I Have a Dream speech. He said, we must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. Nelson Mandela also used satyagraha and soul force to peacefully end apartheid in South Africa. Today, some justice organizations use the term soul force in their work. For instance, the Soul Sanctuary has chosen to use the term soul force to describe their work to effect change in the lives of women, men, and children everywhere that live in violent households. Soul force to them means learning how to live in peace and harmony instead of using violence to control others. Additionally, the soul sanctuary seeks to recognize the courage 
or soul force of others who are also seeking to transform abusive relationships by various means, such as sermons, survivors' groups, songs, poetry, and advocacy. Another organization calls itself Soul Force, the actual term, and it's an American social justice and civil rights organization that supports acceptance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer folks through dialogue and creative forms of nonviolent direct action. Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines soul as the non-material essence or animating force or motivating cause of an individual's life. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, soul force has two meanings. The first one is spiritual energy, a vital source conceived of as constituting, residing in, or emanating from the soul. And the second definition is spiritual rather than physical force or nonviolent action, satyagraha. Now, there are several themes, characteristics, or qualities that seem to run through this concept of soul force. Clinging to the truth, vast inner strength that's required for nonviolent action, taking authentic action to represent truth, working to uphold a just cause, a nonviolent response to physical force, living in peace and harmony with others rather than controlling others by force, courage, the motivating cause of an individual's life. So I invite you to reflect for a moment on your own life. I invite you to find a comfortable position in your seat. Relax your shoulders. Relax your face. Close your eyes if you like. Take in a deep breath. Let it out slowly to ground yourself in this moment. Reflect for a moment. What justice issue calls to you most deeply? What truth have you discovered that demands your time, energy, money? What just cause do you take up What motivates you to take action? Why? to join us back in this room. In our work with congregations, we at UU Jazz have used a process called Story of Self to help people identify the values and life experiences that move them to act. <clears throat> 
It is a process that we learned from standing on the side of love, which is based on the organizing work of Marshall Gans from Harvard University. This morning, I'm going to lead you briefly through that process as a way that you might identify what creates soul force in your own heart. The reflection that we just did may have pointed you in some direction that would allow you to tell a story of an event that has helped to shape your life. This experience may be a story that has led you into leadership or caused you to care about a particular justice issue or motivated you to take some kind of action. Usually a story's plot begins with a challenge that confronts a character with an urgent need to pay attention, to make a choice that perhaps he or she was not expecting. That choice leads to an outcome, and usually that outcome teaches a moral. Because we can identify and empathize with the character, we can feel the moral. We hear about someone's courage, and we're also inspired by it. The story of the character and their choice encourages listeners to think about our own values and challenges and inspires us with new ways of thinking about how to make choices in our own lives. We'll use this challenge, choice, and outcome model to write a story from our own life experience. It will be an important experience that has happened in your life, and it may have been a time when you had to take a stand or try something that you didn't know you could do. It may be justice-related or something else. Your reflection today is just for your own use. You won't be asked to share it with anyone else. So let your memory run wild and see what you find there. So I'm going to ask uh, Sharon and Dave to pass out uh, the handouts that will serve as a catalyst for us. And if you think about what already moves you to action, and then think back over the course of your life to what might have precipitated that. Anyway, I appreciate that you were willing to try this exercise. And, um, of course, the lovely UU Jazz pen is yours to keep. And also, you might want to hang on to the handout um, because you'll be thinking more about soul force as the month goes on from Sunday to Sunday. So um, these stories that you've uh, begun to create can help us to understand how our values move us to action. And when we at UU Jazz do workshops with congregations that are interested in building cohesive and inclusive justice programs, we use this as a part of our process. We do it really for two reasons. First is to help individuals identify the values and experiences that are behind what I now understand to be soul force. And that's why I offered it to you this morning. And the second reason is... When congregants fine-tune these stories to just two minutes in length and share these stories with each other, it's really an effective way to get to know each other at a deeper level because these aren't usually the things you talk about at coffee hour. And it allows you to build deeper relationships with each other and to understand what motivates one another. And all of those things are important when you're trying to decide as a group where you might want to put your energy for justice work. So 
We're going to close this first reflection with words from Reverend Stephen Schick, entitled, Creating Fire. Is the fire going out? Not in your belly, for you are still alive, but in your soul, that place where dreams fuel commitment, where longings shape action, where meaning flames purpose where passion ignites and rekindles your life fire. If your soul smolders, dream on till you flame like a chalice of hope. Though I may speak with bravest fire and have the words to all inspire, but have not love, then my words are vain. I think that this hymn is a caution to us as we use our soul force to build the beloved community. While we have the soul force, we also need love, the kind of love the Greeks call agape. The essence of agape is goodwill, benevolence, and willful delight in the other person. Unlike our English word love, agape is not used to refer to romantic or sexual love, nor does it refer to close friendship or brotherly love, for which the Greek word philia is used. Agape involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. It's intentional love. It is distinguished from other types of love by its lofty moral nature and strong character. It works for the good of the whole. This kind of love calls us to build relationships with others different from ourselves and to shift our thinking about justice building from the dominant paradigm to the beloved community paradigm. We must shift from understanding justice work as something we do for others to something we engage for our own sakes. We must shift from focusing on changing the world out there to being the change that we want to see. And it turns out there are some spiritual practices we can engage to help us make these kinds of shifts. I invite you to try some of them out. First, the practice that we began our worship service with in the opening hymn and in the story for all ages, a gratitude practice. Intentionally taking time daily to give thanks for the abundance in our lives. As the author Douglas Wood told us, we don't give thanks because we're happy. We're happy because we give thanks. Many of the people we hope to help out there are happy in their own lives, even though they may be less fortunate lives than our own, because they engage in this practice. Secondly, in our justice work, we can partner with people most affected affected by the injustice we seek to change. In these efforts, we can companion others, following their lead and serving as allies. Third, following justice-building efforts, we can take time for reflection 
considering how these efforts grow out of our own Unitarian Universalist faith and values, and how our experience has affected our own personal growth. Fourth, we can engage in learning about multiculturalism. It is easier to build relationships with people of other faith traditions, cultural backgrounds, or life experiences if we develop skills that reduce our own assumptions and broaden our perspectives. And fifth, we can grow our capacity for compassion, developing our ability for empathy for others. Karen Armstrong offers a process for doing that in her book called 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. You might want to check it out. Developing these spiritual practices over time can help us embrace the intent of Lila Watson, an indigenous Australian or Murray visual artist, activist, and academic who is often credited with these words. If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. May we make it so through our living. <laughs>